Numbers chapter 15 this morning. Numbers 15. We're going to do all 41 verses. Numbers chapter 15. We are, if you're, you're new to us, or you've been away for a while, because um, you're a college student or something, we are, we are working our way through the book of Numbers. We are in Numbers chapter 15. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. We pray that You'd help us to understand it, to believe it. We pray that You'd help us, um, because of our time together this morning in Your Word, pray that You'd help us to trust You more, to, to desire to live for You more, to have more strength and courage to follow You. pray that You'd work in our hearts we, um, we thank You for Your Word and for our time in it this morning. pray that You'd help. In Christ's name, Amen. God is going to reintroduce Himself to His people in chapter 15. If you were here last week and the week before, chapter 13, chapter 14, they were not great. Those were, those were not great chapters um, for the people of Israel. They just were not... They didn't look good. If you... If you remember, in chapters 13 and 14, God had gotten His people all the way to the cusp of the promised land. I mean, He had rescued them from Egypt. He had been with them. He had done all kinds of miraculous works on their behalf. He had gotten them all the way to the cusp of the promised land. And then they have this spy mission where they go and they send 12 spies in. And, and, they, and they're getting ready to go into the promised land that God is giving them. That God has brought them all the way to. And ten of the spies say, no, I don't think we can do this. I don't think we can do this. I think the, I think the, the enemies are too strong. I think the city walls are too high and too wide. I don't, I don't think we can do this. We're, we're like grasshoppers in there. We're going to get destroyed. They, they turn their back. These spies turn their back on the promises of God, the glory of God, the grace of God, the Word of God. They turn their back on God and the people follow. The people follow. The people say, no, we can't do it. Let's give up. It'd be better if we just die in the wilderness. It'd be better if we go back to Egypt. They just they turn their back on God completely. And so, so we saw last week, God rejects them. Right? The, the, uh, many of them die right there in chapter 14. The, 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 the faithless spies died of a plague right there. And then there was more, more of them that died in this ill-advised battle. They were going to try to do all by themselves. And, and, and then the rest of them are, are sentenced to go out into the wilderness. And, and the, the, the ones over 20 years old, they're going to die in the wilderness. And the rest of them have to be out in the wilderness for 40 years. This is a dark day. A dark day in the, in the history of the nation of Israel. And so there's all kinds of fear and uncertainty now. And so in our chapter 15, today, God is going to do the kindest thing He could possibly do for His people. He is going to reintroduce them to Himself. He's going to remind them of all the stuff that they forgot. All the stuff that they lost track of. They're going to, he's going to remind these people, this is who I am. This is what I am doing this is who I am. This is what I am doing. Now, he's going to do it in a weird way. Chapter 15 is all like a, a bunch of laws. 
It's really weird because the story is moving along and then suddenly we stop and have a bunch of laws. The, the, the book of Numbers is just, it's just like that. It, it doesn't work the way normal books that we read today, the way they work. It's just, it's, it's different. It's unique. Um, but it, it, God's going to stop and He's going to give His people these laws and all of them are, are filled with, with important truths about who God is. We have eight truths about God. We have eight truths about God. Yes, there are eight points to this sermon. But, but, if you had done a little bit of research, you would have known my last like five sermons are over 45 minutes long. Um, and so you, you, this is on you. You showed up this morning. So, don't complain. Um, and if you behave yourself, we can, we can get this done in under 90 minutes easy. Alright, truth, truth number one. We're gonna go through these eight truths about God, um, and we're gonna, cause they're good for the people of Israel, but they're so good for us. All of these are good for, for us. Truth number one, God is going to remind His people that He keeps His promises. Truth number one, God keeps His promises. Two of my, two of my new favorite verses in the Bible. These weren't my favorite verses. These weren't even among my favorite verses um, until this week. But studying this passage this week, I love these two verses. Chapter 15, after all the chaos and, and faithlessness and just bad news of chapter 14. Look at how chapter 15 starts. Look at the first thing God says to His people. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land you are to inhabit, which I am giving you. God is saying to His people, I am picking up right where I left off. You guys didn't look too great. In chapter 13 and 14. In fact, chapter 11, 12, he didn't look great either. God says, but I'm not, you are faithless, but I am not giving up on, on what I am doing. I am going to get this done, God is saying. God is saying, I am going to get this done. When you come into the land that you are to inhabit, which I am giving you. I don't know what these people in the wilderness were expecting God to say. I don't know what they were expecting Him to lead with, but I don't think they were anticipating this. This is God's just mercy to His people. This is God's grace to His people. This is God reminding His people, I am not giving up on you. I am, I am going to keep my promise to your forefather Abraham. I am going to give you this land and it is going to be good. It is going to be good. You have had a really bad week. You have not looked good lately. But, but God is saying to His people, I am going to get this done. I'm going to get this done. Truth number two, it gets even better. Truth number two, God promises abundant blessing. God promises abundant blessing. So truth number one, God keeps His promises. Truth number two, God promises abundant blessing. Verses 1 and 2 say, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land you are to inhabit, which I am giving you, then, then listen to the law that God is going to give His people. Because this law is filled with a wonderful promise. Verse 3, And you offer to the Lord from the herd or from the flock a food offering or a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a free will offering or at your appointed feasts to make a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So, so God is saying, when you get to the land, 
When, it, when you get to the land and it is time for you to offer a, a food offering, which is where you would take a, a bull or a ram or a lamb and you would take it and, and you, would, you would offer a, a small portion of it up to, to God just as a sacrifice, as a, as a burnt offering, but then you would, you would use the rest of the meat for a meal. You would, you would have a meal with the priests and the, the people who work at the tabernacle and the people of God. In fact, symbolically, you would have this meal with God Himself. The, the aroma would be pleasing to God. So this would be like a, a, sitting around the table with God Himself, as it were. And, and this, this, this meal that you're offering up, this offering that you're, you're making is a, is a food offering. It's a celebration. It's thanksgiving. God is saying, when it comes time to be thankful in the promised land... This is how you're going to do it. It could be for a vow that you've made. It could be like this, this unscheduled free will offering. Just a spontaneous thing. Or, or it could be because of a feast day. But for whatever the reason, when it comes time to be thankful in the promised land, look at what you've got to do. Now, these laws are elsewhere in the book of Leviticus, but they're, they're not like this. God is adding details here in verses 4-10. through 10. And I just want you to hear the amount of stuff that the people have to bring. If you're going to offer a ram or a lamb or a bull, look at all the extra ingredients that God is calling His people to bring. Verse 4, Then he who brings his offering shall offer to the Lord a grain offering of a tenth of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a quarter of a hin of oil. And you shall offer with a burnt offering or, the, or for the sacrifice a quarter of a hin of wine for the drink offering for each lamb. Or for a ram you shall offer for a grain offering two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a third of a hin of oil. And for the drink offering you shall offer a third of a hin of wine, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And when you offer a bull as a burnt offering or sacrifice to fulfill a vow or for peace offerings to the Lord, then one, then one shall offer with a bull a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with a half a hin of oil. And you shall offer for the drink offering half a hin of wine as a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. What is all this about? What is he saying? What is, what is the point God is making here? Because this is different than the way it's laid out in Leviticus. Why all this extra stuff? Why are we talking about all of this extra stuff they had to bring? This is like a, if you were going to offer a, a lamb, you'd have to bring a half gallon of flour, a quart of oil, a quart of, wa- of wine. Oh, this is a lot of extra food. Why? And you would double that if you were going to bring a bull. The point is, here's what God is trying to drill home for His people. He's trying to tell them the promised land is going to be good. It is going to be abundant. You are going to have plenty. God says, I wasn't kidding you when I said it flows with milk and honey. Your harvests in the promised land are going to be amazing because you're going to have plenty to come and do this for a free will offering. You're going to have so much left over. You're going to have, you're going to have so much extra produce. You're going to have so much that when it comes time for you to give an offering to the Lord, an offering of celebration and thanksgiving and, and, and fellowship, when you come to do that for God, you're going to have so much that here's what I'm going to call you to bring as, 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 as additional ingredients. What God is doing for His people in this law is He is reminding them that He has promised them abundant blessing. This is who God is. He blesses abundantly. He blesses abundantly. He loves to. I hate coughing these days. Oh my word, I hate it. I put that off for so long. 
you have no idea. If I just pass out, it's because Steve didn't want to cough. <clears throat> God promises abundant blessing. And here's the, here's the thing. This is what he does for you as well. God has promised you abundant blessing as well. He has promised you. In fact, he's already, if you are in Christ, he's already given you abundant blessing. And I'm not talking about flour and grain and wine and bulls and, and milk and honey. I'm not talking about how well your garden is going to do or how well your stock portfolio is doing. It's, if you have one, it's not doing well right now. I'm not talking about how big your house is or any of that stuff. I'm talking about all that you have in Christ Jesus. The, the forgiveness that you have in Christ Jesus. The adoption you have in Christ Jesus. The fact that God has given you his spirit. The, the, the fact that God has let you in and on how the world ends and what's going to happen after it ends and the eternity that Jesus is preparing for you right now. You are you have been abundantly blessed in Christ Jesus and you are going to be even more blessed. God promises abundant blessing. This is what He loves to do. This is what He loves to do. And then, and then what's even more amazing to me where this gets even where where this gets even crazier for me is truth number three: God desires to be with us. God desires to be with us. Not only does God promise abundant blessing, but God desires to be with us. See these food offerings here in verses three through ten. These are all about fellowship with God. They're all about a pleasing aroma for God. They're they're all about God dwelling with His people in the promised land. They're all about God's people coming to Him and, and, and celebrating Him and being thankful to Him and fellowshipping with Him. This is, this is about God being with His people. This is the thing that routinely amazes me the most about God. I, I know He loves to bless us. I know even more than we love to bless our children. I, I get really excited for Christmas. I, I get excited for the chance to bless my children with, with simple things, simple treasures. And God is like that too. But that's not the ultimate point of heaven. That's not the ultimate point of heaven. That's not, that's not the ultimate reason why God has designed the Gospel. The, the main joy for us is that, is that in heaven, we will get to be with God forever. That's what's going to make heaven, heaven. We will get to be with God. And here's the thing that, that humbles me and, and frankly confuses me and fills me with inexpressible joy. The, the, the truth I do not understand is that not only am I looking forward to being with God, but because of Christ Jesus, God is looking forward to being with me. Maybe you aren't like me. Maybe you're not like me. But I, here's, here's how I am wired. I am wired, and it's deep inside me, and it's something I fight every day because it, it, really, it really hurts how good of a friend I am. But something deep inside me is, is I am suspicious. I, I think that once someone really gets to know me, they're not going to want to hang out with me anymore. And maybe you're not like that. Maybe you're not guarded. Maybe you're not worried. Maybe you don't have that, that low-level worry in you. But I am routinely amazed that God wants to be with us. Much of the reason God has designed the Gospel, God has orchestrated the work of redemption is so that He can be with His people forever 
I don't know for sure if you need to hear that this morning, but I suspect you do. The truth is, God wants to be with you. Truth number four, God brings in strangers. Truth number four, God brings in strangers. Verses 11-16 through 16 says, and so this is just continuing on with the law and giving this little amendment at the end of it. And in fact, you're going to see an amendment like this in all of the laws that he lists in, in chapter 15. Verse 11-16 through 16 says, Thus it shall be done for each bull or ram, or for each lamb or young goat, as many as you offer, so shall you do with each one, as many as there are. And then he says, verse 13, Every native Israelite shall do these things in this way, in offering a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And if a stranger, or, or a foreigner, or someone not born, not, not a native-born um, Israelite, a stranger is sojourning with you, or anyone is living permanently among you, and he wishes to offer a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord, he shall do as you do. For the assembly, there shall be one statute for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you, a statute forever throughout your generations. You and the sojourner shall be alike before the Lord. One law and one rule shall be for you and for the stranger who sojourns with you. Now this is crazy because this in, in ancient Near East culture, this would have never happened. In, in, the, in the different in the different faults, but, but, but common religions of the day uh, among the people of Canaan or, or, the, or the, the people in the surrounding nations, you, you didn't get to, if you moved into someone else's country, you didn't get the benefit of their God. You didn't get protection from their God. You didn't get to serve and worship their God. You were on the out. You, you, no, their, their God belonged to them. It was, a, it was an ethnic thing. It was a regional thing. It was a national thing. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't do that if you weren't a, a, a native-born citizen of that people. Outsiders were outsiders. God's not like that. The one true God, the God of Israel, the God of the universe is not like that. He welcomes people, and aren't we thankful that He does, He welcomes people from anywhere in. Anybody who wants to trust and follow Jesus. Anybody who wants to trust and, and love God according to His Word is absolutely welcome. doesn't matter where you were born. This is going to be pointed out a few times in this chapter. It's gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna be clear. The people of God, the people of God are not those who were born. We're gonna see this big time next week in the story of Korah. We're gonna see this big time next week. The people of God are not the ones who were born there. They're the people who have a heart for God. It's whether or not they love and trust and follow God. We see God's missionary heart here. He loves to bring people who didn't know. He loves to bring them in where they know now. He, those who had never heard the Gospel, He loves to bring them to where they can hear and believe the Gospel. This is God's missionary heart. And I had to ask myself as I read these verses this week, do I have this same kind of missionary heart? And you need to ask yourself the same question. Do you have this same kind of missionary heart? Are you looking to bring outsiders in? Those who have never heard, have you, are you looking to bring them in? Those who have not yet believed. Do we have this same kind of heart? Truth number five, God deserves our, our sacrificial thanksgiving. God deserves our sacrificial thanksgiving. Verses 17-21 through 21, The Lord spoke to Moses saying, here's another little law for the people, saying, speak to the people and say to them, when you come into the land to which I bring you, I love that, I could stop and do a 
sermon there, but I'm not going to. But God is saying, God is switching it up here. He's saying, not just the land I'm giving you, but the land I'm bringing you to. I'm like, God, God's like, I'm going to drag your stupid carcasses over the finish line if I have to do it myself. That's what he's saying. I love it. Anyhow, verse 19, And when you eat of the bread of the land, you shall present a contribution to the Lord. So when you're making bread... Alright, so you're making bread, you're going to offer a contribution to the Lord. Of the first of your dough, you shall present a loaf as a contribution. Like a contribution from the threshing floor. So shall you present it. Some of the first of your dough you shall give to the Lord as a contribution throughout your generations. So, so when you are making bread, you take a little bit of that dough and you make a loaf of bread for God. That's what it's saying here. That's what it's saying here. And so, as we remember, the the point here is, as we remember just how wonderful God has been to us, how He has been faithful to us, how He has kept His promises, how He has promised abundant blessing, and He has come through on that promise, how He brings strangers in, uh, when we we remember how, how, how He longs to be with us, when we remember His grace, then we are compelled to give sacrificially. And so here, what it looked like was uh, they're, they're making... They're making bread for the day. Every time they made bread for the day, they, they throw a little dough on the fire for God. This, this added up. Right? I was trying to imagine how this would work in my house. Um, we, we like to eat in my house. Um, and I, I mention every once in a while uh, that, I, that, that we have six kids and, um, and people say, what, what do you want? I was like, I don't, I don't really want anything. But it is important to know that really counting me, Denise has seven kids. And so as, if you're going to, you know, be impressed or sympathetic, you should aim it that way. Anyhow, um, we make pancakes. I don't make pancakes. My wife makes pancakes. And, uh, and that last one, that last pancake, that's, that's worth war, Right? That's, that's worth battling over. Like, like forks and, and loud, mean phrases and counting up who had how many pancakes and so I should get that pancake. No, they had four pancakes yesterday. I should get four today or whatever. You know, whatever it is, that's, that's a battle. That, that sixth and final pancake. If we said, we're going to give that pancake to God, my kids would be like, what? We're going to do, that's a perfectly good pancake. We're going to give that pancake to God. Some of them would offer just to eat it for the glory of God, I'm sure. <laughs> we, we, uh, this, this adds up. This is a sacrifice. This is dough they're not going to do anything with except for just, just to offer it to God. This is their way of, does God need a piece of bread? No, 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 no. This is their way of saying, God, everything we have comes from you. You have blessed us more than we could ever imagine and far more than we deserve. This is just our way of, of showing a little bit of thanks. It's sacrificial. Yeah, it hurts a little bit. It's a bit of a pain, but it is worth it because it's our way of, of showing our gratitude for all that God is and for all that He has done. And, and here's the hard truth. The, the Christian who isn't willing to and, and this is a hard truth for me as well. The, the Christian who isn't willing to, to joyfully give according to what they are able. The Christian who's not willing to joyfully give according to what they're able to show their thankfulness in that way of, for, for God's grace, they probably need to stop and remember all that God has done for them. Truth number six, 
Truth number six, God shows mercy to His repentant sheep. God shows mercy to His repentant sheep. Verses 22-29, through 29, but if you sin unintentionally, and, and, and kind of keep track of that word, unintentionally. That's an important one. If you sin unintentionally and do not observe all these commandments that the Lord has spoken to Moses, uh, all that the Lord has commanded you by Moses from the day that the Lord gave commandment and onward throughout your generation. So anything, any kind of commandment God has given through Moses since, the, since Mount Sinai, since the beginning, right? Then, then if it was done unintentionally, Without the knowledge of the congregation, all the congregation shall offer one bull from the herd. So this is like if a, if a congregation, if a group of people sins unintentionally, they have to offer one bull from the herd for a burnt offering. This is a, this is a sin offering or, or a purification offering. A, a pleasing aroma to the Lord with its grain offering and its drink offering according to the rule and one male goat for a sin offering. I'm sorry, that's, that's the sin offering. That's the, that is the, um, I misspoke. That is the purification offering. That sin offering there. And the priest shall make atonement for all the congregation of the people of Israel and they shall be forgiven because it was a mistake. And, and they have brought their offering, a, a food offering to the Lord, and their sin offered before the Lord for their mistake. And all the congregation of the people of Israel shall be forgiven. And the stranger who sojourns among them because the whole population was involved in the mistake. So if a congregation sins unintentionally, this is how they take care of it. If, if Verse 27, if one person sins unintentionally, he shall offer a female goat a year old for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement before the Lord for the person who makes a mistake when he sins unintentionally to make atonement for him. And he shall be forgiven. You shall have one law for him who does anything unintentionally for, for him who is native among the people of Israel and for the stranger who sojourns among them. Okay, so what we have here is we're focusing in on, on these purification offerings. The food offerings are about producing food for a meal. The, the purification offerings are about the blood. They're, they're about producing blood. Purification offerings need blood to be spilled. And, and, and that blood must be used to, to cleanse the stain from the person before God. To, to remove the stain from the congregation or to remove that stain of sin from, from the person. To, to make them clean again before God. That's why that blood is spilled. That's why that blood is spilled. God sees that blood being spilled and being offered in the place of the person, or in the place of the congregation, and, and they are now once again forgiven. The, the atonement has been made. Their sins have been paid for. And the sins that he's talking about here in chapter 15 are, are unintentional sins. There's all kinds of mercy and grace for unintentional sins. If the, if the sheep are repentant, I... I, I purposefully called this point, God shows mercy to His repentant sheep. And I use the word sheep very purposefully here because that word unintentional is a very interesting word and, and, and you have to kind of dig into it to really get the sense of, of what Moses is saying here in Numbers 15. The word unintentional comes from the same exact word that the, um, that the Old Testament uses for the way sheep stray. When Ezekiel says these sheep have strayed, they have, they have wandered away, 
They've wandered away from the shepherd. That's the same word that we have here. It's sinning unintentionally. It's sinning like a sheep does. Not, not the, the, the sin doesn't mean that the sheep hates the shepherd and thinks the shepherd's an idiot and wants to defy the shepherd and is shaking their hoof at the shepherd. That's not what's happening. The sheep sins because, oh, look, a piece of grass. I'll just wander over there. Oh, look, that, that meadow looks good. That, that river looks good. And they wander and wander and then they find themselves face to face with a wolf or, or caught in a thicket and they're crying out for help. Sheep are stupid. They're gullible. They're easily deceived. They're like you and me. We don't set out. Like when I, when I wake up in the morning, I, I don't say, God, I'm going to defy you by being a jerk to my wife. No. God, I'm going to defy you by going to the store and lusting after some woman I see there. I'm going to defy you by, by lying to make myself look better. I'm going to defy you, God. No, that's not what, that, that's not what we do, generally speaking, is it? But, but in the moment, we get deceived. We're gullible. We make weak, poor decisions. Not out of defiance, but out of human weakness. We do a lot of sinning unintentionally. Now, it's vital for us to understand that this chapter is, is, is saying to us, these sins are still heinous sins before God. They are awful sins before God, and they need to be repented of, they need to be atoned for, they make us guilty before God, they need to be paid for. And so we need Jesus. We need the atonement that comes only through Jesus. We need to be trusting Jesus as our Savior. Only Jesus can pay for our sins, defiant or unintentional. Only Jesus can pay for our sins. And so we must hate these unintentional sins. We must confess them. We must trust Jesus. But we also have to understand that what God is saying here, He's saying there's, there's daily grace. There's daily grace for, for not, not when we shake our fist at God. Say, I don't need you. I don't care. I don't want you. I'm going away. I don't care about your word. I don't care about your glory. I'm defying you. Not, not that, but when we, when we fall into worry and fear, when we drift into apathy or laziness, and when we, we're not setting out looking for sin, but we're just so good at finding it. We just stupidly wander into it. God is saying here, there is, there is forgiveness and grace and mercy. And, he's, and this, this passage is teaching us the importance of having regular times of confession and repentance. Of saying, of saying to God, we are sheep. We are sheep. We need You. We need Your Word. We need Your direction. We need Your grace. We are nowhere without You. To continue to work that into our lives as a regular rhythm, a regular routine in our lives. When we do, when we do, we, we lose our temper with someone we love. When we look lustfully at someone, when we, when we, when we lie about someone, or when we, so someone called me this week and they, they apologized to me. They said, they, they, they talked about a person out of turn. And they said, I've just, I, I've just felt bad about it ever since it happened, and I'm just sorry. And it was obvious that they didn't mean to do that. The conversation just got going, and then they said something, and then, oh, they want it back, but they can't get it back because we're stupid sheep. Blah. And of course, I forgave them because I've had to make that same phone call way too many times. 
it's essential for us to know if we belong to Jesus, if we trust in His death on the cross to pay for all of our sins, and if we are, if we are being people of, of confession and repentance and, and turning away from our, our, our sins, and sometimes it's because someone else pointed them out to us, sometimes it's because we come face to face with a wolf and we're crying out for help, and, and, and sometimes we just thankfully realize, oh man, I've wandered way off the beaten path this time. There's all kinds of mercy and grace for us repentant, stupid sheep. This is God's kindness to us. But we have to see the flip side. Okay, So so that's truth number six. God has all kinds of mercy for His repentant sheep. But then the flip side is we have to see truth number seven. God gives high-handed rebels a severe warning. God gives high-handed rebels a severe warning. Verses 30-36 through say, but the person who does anything with a high hand. So we're not talking about unintentional stuff now. We're not talking about stuff, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done that. Oh, man. We're not talking about that now. We're talking about someone who sins with a high hand. Which, which would, in this culture, mean shaking their fist at God. Which we wouldn't be too far out of bounds to say, this is a person who is, who is giving God the middle finger. So, but the person who does anything with a high hand, whether he is native or sojourner, reviles the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from among the people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be utterly cut off. His iniquity shall be on him. And then he's going to give us a case study here in verse 32, what this looks like. When, while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. This would have been against the law. doesn't seem like a huge deal to us. But it was a, it was a high-handed sin. It was a high-handed sin. He didn't need to gather sticks. He was doing it because he wanted to show anybody who would be looking that he could care less about the Word of God. He was going out of his way to defy God. He was going out of his way to defy God. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation. They put him in custody, which hardly ever happened in the Old Testament, but, but because it had not been made clear what, they should be, what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. That, the stoning there, the stoning there is a gruesome, it's a gory death. It's a very unsettling way to execute someone. But it's not done for the shock value. It's not done for the, for the, to scare everybody into submission. It's not, that, that's not why they do it like that. They do it like that because it's, it's the whole congregation gets involved. It's, it's, it's very clear who's on the inside and who's on the outside. It's, it's a way of saying this person does not belong to God. This is not what someone who belongs to God does. Sure, we sin. Yes, we do. Yep, we wander off and we do stupid, sinful things. And we have to confess those and repent of them. Absolutely. But this is different. This person went out of his way to defy God. 
This person, this person demonstrated with their attitude and with their behavior that they could care less about God's Word, about God's glory. They know what it says. They don't care. This is kind of like if you tell your teenager not to, they can't drive the car, they really want to drive the car, and you say, no, you cannot drive the car, so they go out and they move it like six inches. Just out of defiance. Completely unnecessary. This is, this is what's happening here. And so God sentences this man to death. Now, he doesn't do this with every Sabbath breaker. He doesn't. He doesn't sentence every Sabbath breaker to death. In fact, this is incredibly rare. This is very much like Ananias and Sapphira. They, they lied to the Holy Spirit in, in the presence of the whole church. And the church was at just this crucial time in the book of Acts. The church was just getting started. God was just, just setting the parameters for the church. He was just teaching His people what the church is going to be like. And then Ananias and Sapphira come and do this at this crucial moment in church history. And so God strikes them down. Does he do that for everybody who lies to God in the presence of of the church? No, he doesn't. But he does it there, and he does it here. This is a crucial moment in the history of the people. They've had a really bad, bad chapter 13, bad chapter 14. This is a moment where God is is reconstituting the people. He's he's regathering the people. He's reintroducing himself to the people. And he's saying, This this is what this is what got us killed last time. Stop with this. Stop defying me. And it's a warning to us as well. And here's where. Here's where it comes right down to the the person living in the year 2020. The the definition of of defiant, high-handed sin is to hear the Gospel. To hear that God says that you you are going to die in your sins if you do not trust Jesus. The, the Gospel says you need Jesus. You need to believe the Gospel. You need to trust in, in the atonement that's only available in Jesus Christ. We're going to see this next week. There's, there's no other way except for God's way, which is Jesus Christ. There's, there's no other way to be saved. The prototype high-handed sin, the prototype middle finger to God in the year 2020 is to say, I know God says I need redemption through His Son, but I don't care. If you go that way, you will be cut off from the people of God forever. You will be punished forever. Don't go that way. Please believe the Gospel. Come talk to me afterwards. If you don't know all what that means, if you haven't understood what that means, please please trust Jesus, what He did on the cross to save you from the punishment you deserve for your sins. Then our eighth and final Point. Our eighth and final truth. Truth number eight, God gives us gracious reminders. This is just God's, this is God's everyday kindness to us. God is a God of everyday kindness. God gives us gracious reminders. Verses 37 through 41, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at 
and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them and not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes. And that follow after your own eyes there is, is, is we don't see it because we can't read Hebrew, but if you could read Hebrew, you'd see he's, he's drawing a very close connection to when they went and spied out the land. When they went out and spied out the land, he's using the same exact verbs there. He's using the same exact words there. And he's reminding them, when you went and spied out the land, you followed off your own eyes. You didn't remember God. You didn't trust God. So you, you, not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, but you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments. The idea of whoring after there is the idea you're committing spiritual adultery when you go after your own eyes, your own heart. So you should remember, verse 40, and, and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. God is giving all of His people these blue tassels for their garments, for the hem of their garments. They were all to wear these tassels. Now, in the, again, in this culture here, only the, only the nobility, only the high-class people would have worn tassels. Especially blue tassels. These are, that's really fine thread. It's really, it's, it's really expensive thread. It's, it's for royalty. It's for nobility. And so it's connected to the idea of, of nobility, but it's also connected to the tabernacle because they use the same, they use the th- same thread for the tabernacle. And so God is reminding His people that they are, that they belong to His kingdom. That they are children of the King. He, they are, they are nobility. And he's reminding them of, of their, their close connection to the tabernacle. That God wants to be with them. So not only does God want them to be holy, God wants them to be holy, but God wants to, to be with them as well. They should have looked down at that, that, the hem of their garment and seen that blue tassel. And they should have remembered the tabernacle. Remember that God is with them and He is forgiving them if they repent. And He is guiding them with His Word. And He is going to be with them forever. They belong to God. They should have remembered His grace and His glory. That was the point of the tassels. And, and God in His mercy gives us these everyday reminders as well. This is, this is why we gather for worship every Sunday. This is why we spend time in God's Word remembering His grace. This is why we spend time in prayer. Spend time encouraging one another. It was great. Um, Friday morning, uh, 6.30, we, we gathered together. A bunch of guys gathered together and just they, we just together remembered how good the Word of God is and how gracious God has been in giving us His Word. We need these kinds of things in our lives because we're forgetful. We wander, we stray, we chase after what our own heart, our own eyes want. God knows this. So He's given us all kinds of tassels to remember. This is who He is. He's a, he's a God of everyday kindness. He reminds us we belong to Him. We've been, we've been redeemed by His Son. In His great love, He sent His Son to die for us so that we could be holy, and so that we could be with Him forever. Let's pray together. God, we thank You for Your Word. And when we go through a chapter with 41 verses, we, we don't have the opportunity, we just don't have the opportunity to talk about all that we could talk about. And 
we thank you for how rich your word is and how jam-packed it is full of your grace and mercy to us and your clear truth to us and your, and your good wisdom for us. We just thank you, God, for your word and how jam-packed it is for, for our faith and for our holiness. I thank you that you want to be with us. I thank you that in your, in your deep love for us, you have, you have crushed your Son so that we can be forgiven, so that you can make us fit for heaven, so you can make us holier and holier, so you can show everyday kindness and grace to us, so you can bring us wandering sheep back to yourself, and so that you can one day bring us home to you. We thank you for the grace upon grace upon grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.